started, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given to us, for the breath that we have today, for the energy we have to be here tonight, and for this opportunity to spend time in your word. Bless this time of study that we have together. Speak to us through your word, and may the Spirit move us to learn what you would have us to learn. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for our ability to so freely and openly study it. Bless this time we have. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So um, it's going to stop raining soon. And how do I know that? Because somebody's about to quit praying for rain who has been praying all summer. So we'll announce it uh, later. But this is your last night with us for a while, isn't it, Jackie? Yeah. So it is sad. But she's the one that's brought the rain. So a little bit of mixed emotions there. So, But I have had some of her raspberry jam from the rain. Fabulous. My wife tried to get some. I stabbed her hand. Told her it was not for her. You did not give it to her. You gave it to me. So, um, all right. So we're going to be in Exodus, and uh, we're going to pick up as the people are leaving the country. They are leaving Egypt. So it's the middle of the night. The Passover has occurred. The tenth plague has occurred, and Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron, and he says, "Get out." I think it is ironic that Pharaoh had already promised Moses, if I ever see you again, what am I going to do? I'm going to kill you. And yet, he's humbled here. He just lost his son and says, bring Moses to me. Moses, get out of my country. Uh, and it shows that God can always overcome. So Pharaoh tells them to leave. And remember, they're ready. they got the food ready. They've had a meal. They've got some ready to go. They've got their shoes on already. They have their staff ready to go. They have their stuff packed. God told them this is what's going to happen. And so they walk out. Before they do, what happens? What do the Egyptians do for them? Yeah, they give them everything. Gold, silver. They walk away with uh, livestock. I mean, they basically took over a nation, plundered it without ever lifting a finger. And that's what God did for them. And they leave in the middle of the night, 600,000 men. So when you consider average number of kids, average age, that sort of thing, probably somewhere in the one and a half to two and a half million range, two, two million people, give or take, is what you would estimate. About two million people walked out of the country that night. And don't lose sight of the logistics of that. I mean, we have a hard time getting... You know, a youth group of 10 kids going in the right direction, right? My wife has been teaching, and getting 20 kids in a classroom to do the same thing can be a challenge. Imagine 2 million uh, walking out in the middle of the night, uh, men, women, children with all of their stuff. Uh, and it's just an amazing thing to think God defeated a nation, and the Israelites never lifted a finger. They got everything they had. Well, they got gold, silver, livestock, never lifted a finger. At this time, when you think about the ten plagues, you think about what's happened, there's not a single person that night that didn't know why they were leaving. And God said before he started, I'm going to make sure that Egypt knows I am God. I'm going to make sure that Israel knows that I am God. And now here we are several months later after the plagues. The last plague has just occurred, and everybody walking out that night knew, wow, I have gold and silver in my hands. I'm walking out of a nation, and I'm walking out freely. There's no doubt they thought, God did it. And that's why he didn't want them to raise up arms. 
That's why he didn't give them the strength to defeat the Egyptians. That's why he didn't say, you've got 600,000 men, you outnumber them, let's defeat. That's not what God wanted. He didn't want the Israelites saying, look at what we did. It was very clear, very obvious to everyone. Our deliverance came from God, and that was the purpose of the whole thing. So they're leaving the country, and we're told, we don't see that God tells anybody this. We see that he tells us this through Scripture. When they left the country, he took them the most direct way to the promised land, right? Right? He's been promising them the promised land. That's the goal, to get to the promised land. So we're leaving the country. The promised land is only a few days' journey away, right? A couple weeks at most, so he takes them straight there. No. Which way does he which way does he take them first of all? Yeah, they go towards the sea. And again, do they have a navy? Do they have a bunch of boats? No. Why does he do that? A, a couple things I heard. So one is he's not done with Pharaoh and then He's not done demonstrating his power. He says both of those things. There's one other thing he says. If I take them the most direct route, puts them close to what? We overlook this in this story. The first thing he says is, if I take them the most direct route, they will go right next to the Philistines. And then we'll have a war. Lest they basically get discouraged and want to go back. So he says, I'm not going to do that. Now, God has delivered them from Egypt. Could he deliver them from the Philistines? Of course. But God had a reason behind his instructions, right? Show, I'm not done with Pharaoh. I'm going to show Pharaoh. I'm not done showing my power yet. So the first lesson, before we get to the second, the first lesson is, and we've said this before, God has a reason behind his instructions. And this is a challenge because we're in a society that wants to say, why? Why? Any of you ever had a child that would do that? We had a child that we used to love that would ask that a lot. And we still get that a fair amount. Now her husband has to deal with it. That's how little we get it now. But but it's tough. Why? 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 And so, and we have a society, ask questions, right? So I'm a, I'm a chemistry major in my undergrad. We should come up with a hypothesis, test it out, and prove it. We should ask questions. We, there's nothing wrong with asking God why and then going to his word to figure it out, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But we have to be careful because we're trained to start second-guessing and doubting, right? That's what society tells us. That's where there's a problem. So God has instructions for them. I want you to go this way and go there. But God, it's just... Just right over there. I didn't tell you to go that way. I told you to go this way. But it makes more sense. I didn't tell you to go that way. I told you to go this way. And he doesn't have to explain it. And so there are times when we have instructions that we do not know the why. And that's okay. So I cannot tell you why we're immersed in water. I know why I want to be saved, but I can't tell you why God chose that form. It's a symbolism of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. There's lots of ways you could have done that. But God has a reason behind what he does. And what happens is when I start saying, well, it makes more sense to walk straight to the promised land. Well, you know, sprinkling's just as good. Is baptism necessary? What if we die on the way to the church, right? We can come up with a lot of whys and whys, and it doesn't make sense. And I can improve it. See, God really wants me to be happy, 
right? I mean, that's what God wants in my life. He wants me to be happy. And so did he really mean this about marriage or did he really mean this about relationships or did he really mean this about money? And that's when we get in trouble. God has instructions for the Israelites. If I take you this way, there's going to be a problem. And I know there's going to be a problem, so I want you to go that way. And I read back through it tonight. I was checking. He doesn't tell Moses that. He doesn't tell Moses, I'm not going to take you by the Philistines because it might be war. Obviously, he tells them when he writes the book. I don't mean that. But he doesn't tell them to tell the people that. He doesn't explain it. It says, God is taking them this way because he said to himself, if I do it this way, we could have war and they would become discouraged. Now, here's the other thing I think is the big lesson here. God knows, no matter what he's accomplished for them, he knows they're human. And he knows that having a war right after they leave is going to be something they can't handle. That's a big deal. He, he could have easily said, oh, I, I just delivered you. How dare you doubt me? Hey, are the Israelites going to doubt God? We're about to go through a cycle of a lot of that. God will test us. God will put us in situations. But he is not out there. And this is something that a lot of people have a problem with. He's not out there going, how can I? Hmm. Oh, you know what? If I made him break both his legs and both his arms at the same time, we'll see if he can get through. God's not out there coming up with ways to test us. He's not out there trying to figure out a way to put us to the edge. You know, he's not, he's not up there going, I control, I control your life. Let's see what I can get away with. God wasn't, he knew the human side of the Israelites. And that's kind of comforting to me. He knows my human side. Now, we often hear God will never test you beyond your capabilities, right? Is that what the Bible says? Not what the Bible says. God says, I will never allow you to be tempted. There's a difference between being tempted and tested, right? God never te- tempts us. He tests us. I'll never allow you to be tempted beyond your ability and will always provide a way of escape. So that is a very comforting verse, but it's also a very condemning verse because if you ever failed temptation... I have. Every time I sin, I failed temptation. And what it means is, I had the ability not to sin, but guess what? I didn't take that way of escape he provided. But here, I think we see how much God wants what is best. I don't want to put them in a war right after they left. They're not ready for this. They're not a nation. They're not established. They, they've got a hard time going on. Let's, let's take them another way and protect them a little bit. And, oh, by the way, along the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some pretty marvelous things that's going to really show them what's going on. But I think that's really neat to think he really did care about them enough to try to protect them, to try to keep them from going through too much suffering. Uh, he, he, he protected the Israelites from a struggle that was too great. So, but I do think we, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to think that God is up there waiting for us to fail. Ha, ha, ha. Let's see if they pass this test. Um, that's what teachers do when they give tests to see who they can fail. That's not what God does. I'm just kidding. We have a lot of teachers here, so. including my wife now. Although she taught, listen, you'll be pr- you taught in Japanese today, didn't you? Actually, she taught at the Japanese school. She did not teach in Japanese. She did not learn Japanese for the day. That's a very unprepared teacher, if you're wondering. So, All right, so God takes them out, Exodus 14, to the Red Sea. And why did he take them to the Red Sea? We've already said it. He's got something he's going to show them. He says in Exodus 14, verse 30, uh, or in, in Exodus 14, verse 3, the Egyptians may know that I am Lord. 
Because what happened once they got out? The Egyptians that just let them free, they said, good riddance, right? No. They said, wait a minute, we've made a mistake here. Who's going to do our labor? Who are our slaves? Who are the people that are going to produce for us? And then we see this line that could be troubling, and I don't have a great answer. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We've talked about that a little bit. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Man, she is walking out on my class. It's not the first time. Won't be the last. She walked out at dinner. She walked. Um, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Again, he had a plan. That does not mean God caused Pharaoh to sin. We've talked about this. But what he did is he took a man who didn't honor him as God, a man who was prone to allow it to happen, and he let him go down that pathway. So God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And he did it so that he could show Egypt that he was Lord. And then later in chapter 14, after he does it, he says, so that Israel will see that I'm a Lord again. I'm going to do these great things. And then there's one more thing that's going to be established at the Red Sea. Egypt says, this is definitely Lord. Israel says, this is definitely Lord. But there's something else that he established through what he did at the Red Sea. He says, Israel will see that I am Lord and that Moses is my servant. Moses is the guy I'm talking through. Because they get to the Red Sea, the Egyptians come up behind them, and the Israelites, like typical humans, oh, we, they remembered what God just did, right? They said, no concern, here comes the Israelites, but God just delivered us. No. Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt? You wanted us to die out here instead of in Egypt? You're going to hear that one again in a few chapters. So they immediately forgot what God had done, or at least didn't trust that God could do it again. So they come to the Red Sea. Moses lifts up his hand. God says, you need to lift up your hand and your staff. So this gets back to his purpose. Did God need Moses to lift up his hand to part the waters? No. But he wanted to show the people, I can talk to you, but this is my mouthpiece right here. This is my person right here. This is the person who is my servant. And so you're going to see him raise his hand, and the water's going to go away. And when he lowers his hand, the water's going to come back together. Or actually, he raises his hand, the water parts, he crosses, and then he raises his hand again and lowers, and the water comes back together. Um, But look at what they just did. The Israelites, so they were in Egypt. They were complaining to God, right? Help us, help us, help us. God delivers them. They get all this gold and silver. They are now out in the, in the wilderness, completely delivered. Not one person got hurt. They didn't raise a hand. The Egyptians show back up. God, why'd you do this to us? Well, there are not enough graves. What I learned from this is I have to be really careful. We have to be really careful to not let what's going on around us determine our view of God or our emotions or whether we're good or bad, or whether we're happy or sad, or whether we're joyous or not. And we have a real struggle with that, right? Life's going good, I'm happy. Life's going bad, why is God doing that? Life's going good, oh, God just blessed me in so many ways. Life's going bad, oh, woe is me. I mean, that's what the Egyptians are doing. In fact, eventually, it is going to cost them the promised land, right? And so then it makes me wonder, wow, if we act that way, could it eventually cost me the promised land? Right? Oh, I've got a great job. Yes, we're going to church. I've got a great job. We're giving. Things are going well. Oh, man, what do I do now? Where's the finances going to come from? Oh, God has really just abandoned me, hasn't he? Oh, everything went great at the doctor's office. Oh, my daughter's having a problem. 
I'm up. I'm down. Let's take it a step further. I've told you, and this may seem really trivial, but do you let your emotions get the best of you with things of the world, like sports? I've told you before, in the South, um, generally, most people are Christians, and if they aren't, their, their primary religion is football. And if they are Christians, their secondary religion is football. It is football in the South. Uh, it's like nothing you've ever seen. There's nowhere else that compares to it. And Alabama and Texas would be the worst. So I'm an Alabama fan. It is weird. It is pathologic. I'll admit that. I quit watching Alabama football. And I lo- I want- so they lost last week. My se- I-, I can tell you I will not be happy for a year because they can't go undefeated and win the national championship. They may win the national championship, but they won't be undefeated. That is not good enough in Alabama. Okay? So I cannot be happy for a year. I've already said on that I have 358 days until we can talk about it again. So, so they, I don't watch Alabama football. The reason was I was not a good person when I watched Alabama football. I would get quite upset with the stupid play calling and people that didn't do their job and it didn't make sense and the refs had to be the dumbest they could ever find. Okay? And I realized one day as a Christian I am letting a football game that I have no control over. I know they've, you may think I was good enough to be the coach at Alabama. I was not. I was not playing college football. I know it looks different when you look at me. I wasn't. And yet I would let it ruin my day, ruin my week, and this is not an exaggeration, ruin my year. So I've not watched an Alabama football game in 15 years because I thought this is stupid. This is absolutely immature, idiotic, that I will get that upset over something of the world, Right? And then, you know what? I don't watch politics. I mean, you can't help but see some politics. But if you sit around and watch whatever, you name your station, radio station, television station, you got a problem. I'm just telling you that. Quit it. It is sinful to worship politics. I don't worship really how many hours a day. You listen to it more than a few minutes, you got a problem. Do not let politics determine whether you've had a good or bad day. Stephen, can you believe they passed a law? Yes. Yes. They're idiots. They're all idiots. There's not a law you can come up with that's going to surprise me, unless it's a Christian law. And I'd be, wow, shocked. Can you believe that they want it? Yes. Don't be shocked when the world acts like the world, right? Be shocked when Christians act like the world, right? Can you believe that they, yes, I can't. The celebrity, listen, if you get any advice or watch what a celebrity says, how, how empty is your life? I'm sorry. Who cares what celebrities say? Do not let the world determine whether you're happy. Do not let the world determine what your emotions of the day. Do not let the situation determine whether you're in a good or bad mood. Do not let the situation determine your emotions. They just, they just plundered the most powerful nation in the world, and a few days later they're complaining to God because something's coming up behind them. Man, that's really weak, but we do the same thing. We, have, we live in the richest nation in the world with the freest nation in the world and one thing doesn't go our way and we complain about it because somebody said this on TV or some politician did that or some law was passed there or some sporting event went this way or my job went that way or my kid did this or my best friend said that. Wow, how immature are we that we let those type of things determine our joy in life, determine how we view God, determine our happiness. That is no different than what the Israelites are going to. In fact, Paul talks about contentment. Remember that in Philippians? In all situations, right? So we need to learn that sort of contentment, and that is hard. Now, you're thinking, well, Stephen, you've got it figured out. No, no, no. And please don't talk to my wife about this lesson when we finish tonight. Do not get her insight into how I am. Because, no, I have a tendency to react to things, and it's one of the things I struggle with. But it's one of the things that we have to get under control. 
we will be no different than the Israelites. And at some point, God's going to say, never mind, you're not getting into the promised land. Because you're not being the people I want you to be. So that's a good question. Your question is, why do we do that, and what can we do? So first of all, I think we are probably worse about it now than we've ever been because we have more information than we've ever had. We have 24-hour news stations with the bane of our existence. Um, if you took away 24-hour news stations, half of your life problems will go away, right? If they had 30 minutes at night to give you the national news, they can only say so much in 30 minutes, and that includes the weather. So you really got 24 minutes of news, life would be better if you had 24 minutes of news. Um, so I can, I can stand up here and give you the patented answer. We need to pray about it, and I'm not going to undermine that, but that's the first thing we do. We can study the Bible. That's the first thing. But now let's talk about the practical answer. If you find yourself getting upset, quit watching or quit doing whatever it is you're doing. Go a week without social media and see how your life is. Oh, I can't do that. Well, maybe social media is not a thing. Go a week without CNN or Fox News or whatever. Well, then what if the world dies? Well, I promise if war breaks out, you'll hear about it. All right? You do not need CNN or Fox News to tell you that. I promise. Okay? When the bombs start landing, you'll go, oh, something's going on here, right? Okay, so, so you don't need the news to give you that information, right? Because what is the goal of the news stations? Is it to get people elected? No. Is it to, what is the goal of every news station? Ratings. They got to make money. Nobody is out there going, I'm going to be a, an, a uh, reporter, and I'm going to do it for free. No. They got to pay their salaries. The only goal is to get you to watch them again. And so... Find out what it is that, that my trigger is not just Alabama football. I joke about that. It really is Alabama football. But it's a lot of things. And if I find myself throwing stuff at a TV, I've decided I probably don't need to keep doing this. Right? If I find myself yelling at people that can't hear me, like at a game show or whatever, I, I probably need to stop doing that. Uh, and it may not be that true. It may be, you know, it may be your spouse and how you interact with them. Or it may be your work. And it may be that changing jobs is what you need to do. Even if it means a cut in pay or a change in location, um, it may be that not voting, oh, you should vote. You can vote or not vote. I don't think that's a Christian who can vote or not. You can choose either one and defend it. But if it makes you that upset, then that needs to be taken away from your life. Anything that gets us away from God, anything that gets us that upset, if we can eliminate it, we need to. And then, go ahead, yeah. Mhm. 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 Oh, I like that word. Mhm. Oh, wow. Yeah, impressive. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, I'm going to rephrase one, or restate something you said that's really important. You, you prayed to God, and we talked about that. But you admitted to him, I love the world. You say, oh, no, we shouldn't love the world. Well, then why is it you're t- watching politics so much? Because it's a love of the world. Why is it you're watching football so much? Now, is anything wrong with politics or football? No. Anything wrong with, you mentioned Broadway shows. and want to go to, We like to do that as well. But again, it's what's my priority. And you said a word I really loved, and I had not written it down. Your appetite for those things. And it's, um, we, t- we deal a lot in medicine with addiction, okay? So if you had to name kind of the most addictive substances that we deal with, what do you think the most highly addictive? Not, not what's abused the most, but what is the most highly addictive substances you think that we deal with on a daily basis? Sugar is number one. It is more highly addictive than methamphetamine. Take it away from somebody and watch their brain reaction. Give it back to them and watch their brain reaction. You ever done this? I actually cut out sugar for a few days. And then I went and got, and I'm going to use the term, one hit. And I started craving it so bad, I couldn't control myself. Well, that's the same thing that happens with social media. Social media is more addictive than cigarettes. They watch people when they click that button. It's the same reaction that happens at sporting events. It's the same reaction that happens when you're in a political battle. And that's what politics is about. The reason it's addictive is because it's about winning. It's about getting your way, right? That's what drives politics. That's what drives sports, okay? It's that addiction, and so it's that appetite for things of this world. Now, again, I'm not saying any of those things are sinful in themselves, right? Money. Money is not sinful in and of itself. God can give us money. He can take it away. Satan can give us money and take it away. But it can be addictive and it can be an appetite. Now, you may not struggle with sugar, but if so, you're probably not human. Okay? Because I've never met a human. You may even say, oh, I don't. I bet you do. You just don't realize it. You don't realize where you're getting it. Right? If you grow your own vegetables and that's the only thing you ever ate, you might could be honest with me about that. But if you eat anything, it's, it's just so addictive. Uh, more so than methamphetamine. Okay? I'll just tell you that. More so than heroin. Um, so, yeah, it's that appetite for those things. I love that word you use. And so at some point I have to be honest to God and say, I don't need, and I actually can remember a while back saying to God, I get so upset in Alabama football, I don't need to watch it. Every so often I will turn it on, and how long will it last? A few minutes? Yeah, because they can be up 49 to nothing. If they mess up a play, I'm ready to throw the remote at the TV because they could have been up 56 to nothing and they're not the only up 49 to nothing. Right? And, so I, and it takes that, that admitting to God, confessing to God, this is my struggle. And then it's not going to be a one-time thing. 
you talk about it every Friday night. Again, nothing wrong with Netflix. If you want to sit down and watch Netflix and watch Survivors t- season 24, whatever it is she's on, um, that's fine, right? Um, but it's admitting that, hey, tonight I don't, I'm going to see if I can try not to do that or I don't want to do that or whatever. And I love that word appetite because it is what drives what we do. Right? It is our basal needs that we often don't think about. And um, I've, I've told you all before, I have a dad, my dad can sit and watch Fox News all day long. And I can tell when I talk to him if he's been watching Fox News. And I will say, quit watching Fox News. Did you see the other day that, no, Dad, I didn't, because it's not important. Well, it could mean, it doesn't matter. Did a nuclear bomb go off? No. Did they have an election? No. Then I don't want to hear about it, right? Now, I, I, you say, oh, he's ignorant. No, I can tell you a lot of stuff about a lot of things, but I'm not going to let it run my life. I'm not going to let it dictate. And, and my dad has that appetite. He lives for politics. I've got a brother who lives for Alabama football. He's the dumb one because he can't get out of it, right? And my dad's the smart one because he's politics. It doesn't matter, whatever it is, that appetite. And so telling God, admitting, I got a problem with X. I need your help. That is a good first step. And then trying to eliminate it, trying to say, okay, let's go Friday night without Netflix. And then it's awkward because then your wife has to talk to you, and that is a really awkward situation to be in. We've got to have a conversation. I mean, it's yeah. – but we have got to – do yes. Oh, go. I see two hands, so we'll go up front first. So, yes. Yeah, that's a good question. So, the you know the, the final question was how much time do we do we seek ceasing the fa- seeking the face of the Lord? In other words, not because we want something from Him, Lord, give me this, give me this, give me this. But okay, I'm just going to find the Lord and, and let my life be filled with that. Right, Russ, I saw your hand. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Amen. All right, go ahead. Yes. And so that's important. When we read this about the Israelites, we, we know the story is what you're saying. We know the outcome, right? Jonah's your other example. We knew, but they didn't. And I'll reverse that and say, so maybe one of the steps is to say, I, I'm at the Red Sea. Let me trust God here because he's going to part, you know, he's going he's gonna to get us through around under. He's going to give me this, whatever. God's in control. And so I don't know the story, but God does. Oh, okay. But getting back to, 
and maybe being brutally honest, and that's one of, that's, that's sometimes my prayer, God, I don't understand. And that's something I did not pray as a young person because uh, I wanted to understand. And so I would figure it out. I'd fill in the blanks instead of going, God, I don't understand. Help me to rely on you, Russ. Different result, right. Mm-hmm. 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 And, uh, you know, what's the definition of insanity is what we're saying. Doing the same thing, expecting a different result, right? And so uh, please understand, social media may not be a thing. For you. you may hit it once or twice a day and don't care. That's fine. But all of us probably have those things in our lives that control our lives. And you say, oh, I don't have anything that controls my life. Does it control your emotions? Does it control your reactions? Does it control whether you're in a good or bad mood? Then it's controlling your life, right? And so what is that? For some of us, it may be a lot of things. For others, it may be, well, you know, I've got it under control. Great. That's wonderful. But that's very few people that could truly say they have it under control. But if we do think about the end of the story in our lives, right? So I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, next year, or 10 years from now, but God's already been there. He's already not just seen it. He's knows what's going on and the and the thousand different ways that it may play out to get there he's got it all figured out um, but yeah i don't have a great answer for how to fix it but it does start with brutal honesty with god and a confession of i'm having a problem with x y or z so any other comments on that? those were good comments what time is it Seven thirty-five. okay um all right so god delivers them he brings them to the red sea he puts the uh, pillar of smoke behind them, between them and the Egyptians, because the Egyptians are going to attack. He has Moses raise his hand in the middle of the night, okay? And the waters part. They cross on dry land. They get to the other side. He moves the clouds so that the Egyptians can follow. They get in the middle. Moses raises his hand from the other side, and the Egyptians are defeated. Uh, Every one of them are are wiped out and killed. So God now has not only plundered Egypt, he then wiped out their entire army and their king. He took Pharaoh out. And he said, I will do it so that Egypt recognizes me as Lord. Now, two million people sitting on the bank recognize him as Lord. And those same two million people, according to Exodus chapter 14, now say, I know God did it, but Moses raised his hand, it happened. Moses lowered his hand, it happened the other way. That's a pretty powerful testimony. He has established Moses as their leader. So they are now established who the leader is. God is in control. There should be no more doubts. No more complaints. Everything's perfect. Because in my life, when God delivers me from something, I never doubt him again. Or maybe if I'm lucky, I go a week, you know, three days. For them, it was a few days. It was less than a week, actually. Uh, And, again, we might give them a really hard time. But then in my life, I watch God work. I come here on a Sunday, and I see see his his people, and I know the love that's here. And then on Monday, I've been abandoned. God's not caring. Is God going to deliver me from this? Don't you know he's going, you Israelite stupid. Oh, no, sorry, Stephen, you stupid person. Didn't you see what I just did? Have you not read the story? And so I try not to give the Israelites too hard of a time. Because we get two chapters later, and before you say, oh, two chapters, that's a lot of time. No, one of them's a song. (laughs) So (laughs) 
it takes a few minutes to, to sing a song, right? Uh, so we get to chapter 16. They're now across the Red Sea. And um, they've been a couple months out now. They've been delivered. They've gone through all of their food. gone through everything they plundered. And so they start complaining. And what's the first line they say? Were there not enough graves back in Egypt that you wanted to bring us out here to starve to death? Right? We've heard that before. Because like every human, we have to be reminded every so often. So they grumble against God because they're starving. And I've been in this situation where it's been a few hours since I ate and I'm starving. Right? You ever had kids? I'm starving. No, you're not starving. Well, they're starving. No, they're not. But they think they're starving. They're going to come out here to die. Um, and they actually say in chapter 16, there was plenty of bread. We sat around with buckets of meat to eat. Egypt was wonderful. Oh, to be in Egypt. Egypt or Hawaii, they were both the same. They were great. They just loved Egypt. Why did you? We didn't even want to leave Egypt. You just came messing in our lives. Right? It's been less than two months and they have completely forgotten, not what God did. They forgot their situation. And I have written down, we have to be really careful that we don't let our memory get skewed about how great things were back when, right? You know, it was so great when, when, we, had, when we had so-and-so as a preacher here. Oh, it was wonderful. Was it? Was it? It might have been good. It might have been bad. But was it really that great? There was never a problem when, when the elders did so-and-so. We didn't have a single issue at this church for years. Yeah, I'm going to say no, that's not true, okay, because we're humans. But we get that all the time, right? Oh, at my last job, I loved it. It was perfect. Then why did you leave? Well, because you had a better opportunity, right? That last relationship, I mean, everything you can do that to is so wonderful. We did this campaign one time, and we did door knocking, and I bet we had 5,000 people respond. It was the greatest thing in the world. You know, that's what humans do. And so we have to be careful that we aren't skewing our memory, particularly when we start requesting what we want, when we start complaining about the way things are, when we start saying this is the way to fix everything because it used to be so good here before that new elder came in, before that new preacher came in, before we did X, Y, or Z. And so I've not found anybody yet that can give me an honest depiction of the past, right? Because we all see it through certain lenses, and we all see it whether we liked the situation or didn't like it, then we then describe it based off of that, right? Um, And so that's what the Israelites do. We just loved it in Egypt. It was great. We didn't know what to do with all the meat. It was, you know, steak and shrimp. It was wonderful. And you came and messed us up and brought us out here. Um, So we have to be careful that we don't let those little things frustrate us uh, looking back. So God... Answers their question, or answers their groanings by doing what? How does he fix their hunger? Right, manna and quail. Yeah, it's a pretty good combination, right? And he did it just for their hunger. He actually says, "I'm going to give them manna to test them." That's the reason he gave it to them, and he put some restrictions around it. Um, we still got a few minutes. He put some restrictions around it. He says, "I'm going to give them manna to test them." Again, God could have fed them any number of ways. But he says, I'm going to test them. And he gives them restrictions. What does he tell them about the manna? Yeah, one day's worth, except for right, sixth day you collect two days' worth, because on Sabbath you don't collect any. Pretty straightforward. Pretty simple. Everybody followed it. 
but it gets back the right, same thing. We wouldn't have, you know, we we're reading it. We see the end. We know that oh, but it's going to spoil. They they were told that, but remember they're still human, and then they have people who woke up on the seventh day and said, "Where's my manna?" Yeah, I was going to make manna pudding today, and there's none around. Right? I eat the leftover manna casserole. Ugh, right? It's spoiled. Right? So God said, "I'm going to give them manna to test them," and He put this. It, it, why did they not collect on the Sabbath? Well, it's a day of rest. No, He said, "I'm going to test them." That's why we're not going to collect on the Sabbath. Why did he do one day at a time? Because I want to test him. Man in the morning, quail in the evening, one day's worth, you're going to be good. Can you follow that? Pretty simple instructions. And I'm glad I've never messed up God's simple instructions in my life. And then I think, oh, before I get too hard on the Israelites, do I let things, do I start to question God's instruction? Or do I just kind of act like I didn't hear him, right? I pull the teenager, when did you tell me that? 47 times last week I told you that right? and I'm sure God does that to me I did everything but put it on a billboard oh by the way I did put it on a billboard you just didn't you know uh, and so he gives them, he fixes their issue um, but again I want to make sure that we we are careful that we don't have the same issues with God instru- God's instructions that we don't sort of listen sort of apply it sort of forget you know, two months into it, what was it he said? Um, Egypt was so fun, God, and you took us away from Egypt. So, all right, that's a good stopping point because we're going to talk briefly next week about how manna points to Jesus, and then um, we're going to get into water from the rock and the Ten Commandments. So that'll be a good place to stop. So, thank you, everybody. Uh, the kids will be in here in just a minute because they promoted tonight, but they're coming back in. Right? They're not. I don't think they're staying. So, thank you. <laughs>